This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit AssetBuilder.com. From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Joey, welcome to another episode of Keep It Simple. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing good. I'm I'm doing pretty good. I uh, before coming to this podcast, I thought about something like some opener, kind of a non-finance related opener. Um, I think there's a few things as a husband, as a man, that you do that makes you feel like a husband and a man, right? Yeah, like opening yeah. jars. That's number one. That is one. It's very satisfying when it happens. I, yeah. don't, I don't know why, but it is. Um, and there's also nothing nothing more embarrassing than having than not being able to open that jar. I will say. True. Second thing it never happens to me, but I'm sure that sucks for you. Can we restart? Just kidding. <laughs> no, that's a good. All right, what fair else? enough. Fair enough. What else um, is? Uh, <laughs> this is not as fun as opening jar, but unclogging drains. Oh, drains, man. not Drain. toilets. Drains. Uh, I mean, toilets too, but specifically drains. I was something I did. I don't know. My wife's gonna be too happy with me saying this. There is a stark difference between my sink at in our master bathroom in her sink in our master bathroom. And oh, I dude. went and unclogged her sink. And it's just the nature of it. Like they've got, women tend to have longer hair and so they get caught easier. But unclogging that ish, oh, oh yeah. boy. That's not even my biggest issue. It's the number of like bottles on her side <laughs> of the sink. It's like, what is going on here? This is an outrage. If you use all these products every day, you're going to be here for two hours. I mean, yeah. It's outrageous. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. And yeah, to be fair, maybe maybe a bottle every now and then gets me. So yeah. I can't be too prideful. What we're talking about today, I'm excited. This has been something that we've been planning for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a little bit ago and you asked me for kind of some book recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gave you a couple and you started on one of my favorites. It's called The Psychology of Money. So good. Written by? That's a good question. And we will figure that out. Renee. Yeah. Google if you can Google that real have, quick, The Psychology of Money, who's the we author? Have our, <laughs> we have our fearless producer, Renee Beam, in here <laughs> off camera. So she's going to help us out. Highly recommend it to anybody listening. It's, oh, it's so it's, good. In my opinion, it's really easily digestible. Mm-hmm. It's not overly complex. It's not even so much investment related. There's some of that in there, but yeah. it's really more of like a, a framework and, and a, and a philosophy of how to think about yeah. money and, and financial matters on a personal finance level. And it's also not really long, which is also nice. Yeah, so. it's an, it, it goes down pretty well. Yeah, What we'd like to do is just kind of walk through that book. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is going to be a multi-part series. We're going to get as far as we can today, but I don't want to rush through it. I, I want to get through it oh, uh, yeah. at a pace that I think is good and, and really make sure we're thorough because there's yeah. a ton of good stuff oh, in here. There's so much. And there's so much that we can just like this one quote and go off of it for yeah. half an hour maybe. Absolutely. So. Um, so why don't we start just at the beginning of the book? I mean, well, first of all, before we do that, what was kind of your, as you were reading it and maybe as you finished it, what was your, your takeaway? Like what was your, the main impact the book made on you? I think, I I mean, and we'll talk about this here in a second is uh, the first chapter when he, and he kind of sets the tone and he just says, no one's crazy. Right. And I think that's, that's what helps a lot is, uh, um, is just that he, he brings it all into perspective of, Look, not no one knows everything about money, and even financial advisors. Like we know a lot, I would say we know more than the general population, but we don't know everything, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's that's something I learned. And there's there's just so much to learn 
about money and about finances as life goes on. Um, and also an, another thing that I think he hits on quite a few times is humility is, yep. is key. Yep. Um, especially when it comes to investing and saving uh, and thinking about money. So, yeah. 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 I mean, early on, and this is like chapter one, right? It talks about not having a bias towards your own experience. Yeah. Right. So we all have different experiences with money, largely informed by our upbringing. I know mm-hmm. my upbringing had a huge impact on how I think about money and um, kind of my motives and and the things that I worry about and, and hope for uh, were largely impacted by how I was brought up and how how my parents kind of treated money, what our what our lifestyle was like. But again, that's that's my experience, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really important that you try to educate yourself on all the ways that you should approach money, all the things that you think about, all the things that can happen, right? And he talks mm-hmm. about not letting, he talks about this later on in the book, but um, not letting either your successes or your failures kind of dictate future decisions. Yeah. All right. right. So yeah. I, I think it's a really good place to start is just kind of backing away from maybe how you've traditionally thought about money mm-hmm. and trying to look at it from a fresh lens. Yeah, right? absolutely. Let's move on to chapter two. Walk us through what chapter two is about. I yeah. know there was a quote that you liked. Um, is that chapter two? Yeah, I mean, chapter one and two have, have amazing quotes. Um, yeah. I just want to, I want to revisit chapter one and then we'll move on to chapter two. So yeah, chapter yeah, yeah. one, one of my favorite things in it, it, he says like your experience with money makes up 0.00001%. I think it's just a, he's just, it, it, that's not true. That's not, I don't think it's a real stat. I think he's just trying to make a point with that number. Mm-hmm. But he says it makes up that little 0.00001% of what is going on in the world as far as money and what has happened with money, but it makes up 80% of how you think about money, right? And so that's why it's it's so crucial. And like you said, it kind of pulls back the lens and gets it into a bigger view. So that's really nice. And I thought <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. The the quote that he used or the example that he used was from JFK. And when he was running for office, he was asked, what do you remember the Great Depression? He was like, honestly, I didn't even re- recognize the Great Depression. Our accounts went up. We traveled more. We had more fun. The only thing I noticed is that uh, my dad hired on a few more gardeners to help them have a job. I didn't know about the Great Depression until I read about it at Harvard. And I was All like, right. one, that would not be digested well in today's <laughs> like, no. scenario. But like, I was like, doesn't Man. make you super electable. Yeah, right? like, doesn't, that doesn't make you super relatable either. And and I guess like they said, one of the only reasons he won is because he had experience with, he went, I don't know which war he was enlisted in uh, or was involved with, but that's why he was more likable than his opponent. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought it was really, really interesting. So again, kind of pulls back that lens of like, I mean, JFK's experience, although his family, the Kennedys have a ton of money, mm-hmm. that doesn't make up all of the world of money. It doesn't even come close to like what has happened in the world, what is happening in the world. So yep. uh, yeah. But anyway, so moving fun, on. Fun, fun fact, JFK was a PT boat commander. Oh, really? Yeah. Did not know so that. So he was, PT boats were patrol boats that would, it was called a patrol torpedo boat. I only know because I built a Model 11 when I was a kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they were basically, they, they would hunt for um, submarines. Oh. Try to take them out. Dang. Yeah. That's intense. So interesting. Um, anyway, yeah. I agree. I agree completely. That experience completely blocked him from a common, oh, yeah. commonplace experience for yeah. most people at that time, right? I mean, most people in America at that time were really struggling. Oh, and so, or like um, went from high to like extreme lows, you mm-hmm. know? And, 
Yeah. Yeah. That's so, going to change the way you want to invest. Exactly. And, and that's going to impact the way he views money and finances yeah. in general. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's a very unique experience, but at the end of the day, we all have a unique path we take through life. And mm-hmm. part of life is largely how we interact with money. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So just being cognizant of that and trying to be aware of your own biases. Mm-hmm. And that moves into chapter two. I mean, the title of chapter two is luck and risk, right? Yeah. One of the things he says is risk and luck are doppelgangers. Oh, yeah. So, the takeaway I have from from chapter two is largely, and I see this even with some of my own friends in life, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not naming names, but there is a tendency for people to take things that have worked for them and to think either A, that's that's the way to do it. And the only way, yeah. And the only way, yeah. Or B, it is going to happen repeatedly like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, it's really important nowadays. Like, I mean, I think if we're on, if you're on social media or the internet in general, you see a lot of these guys, like Grant Cardona is one, like a lot of these, I'm wildly successful type guys, but really all they're wildly successful at is selling how to be successful to you. Right. So they're successful via selling success. It's like, well, that's a weird feedback loop. Um, But you know, these types of guys, like one of the things you see is like real estate. It's the only way to make money, you Mm -hmm. know, pour your money to real estate. It's like, well, that may have worked for that person. And again, internet-based, I would question whether or not it's actually worked for that person. But there's no doubt real estate has made a lot of people very wealthy. But does that mean either A, it's the only way or B, it will definitely work for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, how many many stories are there of... I mean, there's... uh, Like you just said, there's a ton of stories of success. How many stories are there out there of massive failure? You know, Absolutely. That we don't hear about because they don't get highlighted. It's that survivor bias, right? Yeah, it's the people that exactly. it's worked for, trumpet it. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that buy their first property and they didn't know there's termites in the property yeah. and, and they lose a lot of their savings on it, right? They have to yeah. start all over. So it's just a, a recognition that you take risk and a component of that risk paying off is luck. Oh, it yeah. doesn't mean that you as an individual don't deserve credit. Mm-hmm. for taking that risk in the first place and being willing to accept the trade-off. And, and if it does work out, that's awesome. Like I'm all for that mm-hmm. paying off for people. But other people need to be aware that that wasn't the only possible outcome. And even mm-hmm. for that person, like your next decision shouldn't be overly informed by the success of your prior decision. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So in other words, the underlying approach that you take toward money, that you take toward saving, that you take towards being a steward of whatever resources you have mm-hmm. um, should be based on probable outcomes. Yeah. Like what is repeatable over time? Yeah. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, yeah. And there's like that margin of safety, which he talks about later on in the yeah. book. But yeah, absolutely. You have to, I mean, with everything, right? I mean, there, and not to say that everything is luck, like you said. I mean, some stuff is, yeah, they, they had a, pretty good idea what was going on, but there's no way they could have predicted it that well. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you gotta, whenever you approach anything, especially if you're approaching your next chapter of investing, like you said, you can't necessarily rely on history to tell you exactly what's going to happen because things change. You can't predict the future. We can try. Um, and we do. And a lot of people make money economists off, (laughs) off trying to predict the future. And, um, you just gotta, whenever you're doing that, you gotta have a level or a margin of safety in everything mm-hmm. you do because mm-hmm. you really genuinely don't know how much it's how it's going to turn out. And I think that's later on in the book and we'll get to it, but the greater the risk, the probably the greater the margin of safety you need mm-hmm. because you don't know like you don't know if it's going to turn out exactly how you want it. So kind of bank on it not, 
right? Yeah. Like, what am I taking that risk with? Yeah. Am I taking exactly. this risk with milk money? Yeah. Or am I taking this risk with college education? College education, yeah. mortgage money. Like, yeah. There's a big difference in, in those things. Oh, absolutely. Anything else from chapter two that you want um, to touch on? I mean, this this kind of hit me too, uh, personally, because I, I, I think I... I do this a lot where I got to be careful when assuming that 100% of outcomes uh, can be attributed to effort and decisions, right? Even like, just like hard work, hard work does pay off, I think a lot of the time. And mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get anywhere without hard work, but hard work doesn't equal 100% of the outcome every time. So that's something that, that was just a one line quoter that I was like, that's mm-hmm. true. I've got a, I mean, there, there might be some of the hardest workers out there that have just happened to fail. And I've got to recognize that like failure does not equate to they're not hard workers. I agree, man. I think that's super insightful. I think if you're like, think about it in terms of like, if you graph the market over time, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, we can fairly confidently say that over time, like Mm -hmm. over a period longer than five years, markets, the vast majority of the time, about 90% go up, Mm -hmm. right? But if you zoom in on any part of that graph, like it's not a constant upward movement. Mm-hmm. That upward trend is a series of ups and downs. Yeah. I think if you were to chart like hard work versus outcomes, over time, that hard work will probably be fruitful. Yeah. But that's in the aggregate. Like you're yeah. applying hard work to multiple areas of your life over time. But there are certainly be times where you can put all the hard work in, in the world and it just doesn't, doesn't pan out. Because yeah. again, it's that recognition that it doesn't mean you don't work hard. Yeah. You certainly want to apply the hard work, but you have to have an appreciation for like, I also need things to fall my way. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, like, active managers, right? Yeah. Like there are they're, a lot of people sure that are working hard. <laughs> well, I mean, think about all the people that have trained to, you know, learn a trade, mm-hmm. right? Maybe like a steel working trade or, yeah. or a woodworking trade. Like that is hard work. Mm-hmm. I mean, being a teacher, that's some of the <laughs> hardest work I can imagine. Yeah. I want to look at the camera. That is an underpaid job right wildly there. Wildly underpaid. Yeah. Like I have such an appreciation for as someone with three kids. Like I can't imagine, but that doesn't always result in the most fruitful outcome financially, right? So going into those types of situations, you need to be aware of the relationship mm-hmm. between what is the work I'm putting in and what's the reward and, and yeah. making sure that you're okay with that relationship. Oh, it's yeah. different for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a, a level of humility that that just naturally results in, yeah, right? Like if you're successful, more power to you, but mm-hmm. be cognizant of the fact that wasn't just your skill, yeah. your foresight, your work. There were a lot of macro factors that had to fall in your way. Like things like the industry you're in yeah. were healthy, right? Yeah. Like you were in a growing area of the, the economy. Like a lot of these things play into it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, I think that's super insightful. Chapter three. Yeah. Are you ready to move on? Yep, yep, yep. That okay. sounds great. That was good. So chapter three, uh, it's called Never Enough. And this is where I feel like the book kind of goes to a little bit deeper level. I mean, the book is called The Psychology of Money Mm -hmm. for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? So, so much of how we relate to money, it it has much less to do with how much money we have Mm -hmm. and and what's happening around us and has much more to do with how do we think about money? Like, how do we approach money and interact with money. We know this, I think, better than most, just as people that work with clients every single day. So much of our client's success has to do with their mindset mm-hmm. and has very little to do with the investment decisions made, yeah. the what ticker symbols you're in. Like, all yeah. that stuff matters. But if you don't have the right mindset yeah. going into it, nothing else matters. Oh, like, yeah, that is step one. Yeah. If, you can't hit, if, if your foundation is cracked, Sorry. Yeah, you're toast. Yeah, the house is not going to line up. Your windows are going to be off. Your door is going to be off. Like, That's right. It's just going to be a problem. So yeah. And so absolutely. having the right, the right again, mindset around money 
is that foundation. Yeah. So in in chapter three, he kind of talks about not moving the goalposts. Yeah. Right. Which is like the idea. One of the that, hardest things. So walk us through kind of what what he's trying to say by never enough. Yeah. And so it, 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 I mean, he does say, I think the quote is, and this is almost direct, the hardest financial skill is getting the goalposts to stop moving. And basically if expectations rise as you get more results, as you get results, then you're never going to be happy with the results that you got. And you're going to always want more and more and more. So it's like, say my, my goal was to have a million dollars in my 401k by the time I retire. Right. Mm -hmm. But then as I'm getting closer, that's not enough. Then I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to change. I'm not gonna be satisfied. I'm not gonna be, uh, the goalpost has moved now to $2 million and my discipline with my investing is not gonna be great. Yeah. Um, it might change. And then I will veer from the plan and that's usually where things start to go awry and end up not happy. Um, and even and like that's and even say, say I do get $2 million in my retirement and but I, I have moved the goalpost to $2 million and say then I end up with 1.5 million. I am now not happy even though I technically hit my first result, my first goal. That's what he's kind of getting at. Um, and I think in one of the quotes that he says is social comparison is the problem here. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, I could go on a... Has that ever been more relevant? Holy smokes. Um, I think some of the, one of the best moves I've made in my life besides marrying my wife and following Jesus is deleting Instagram mm. and, and, and deleting Facebook. It is... It's great. Last Our time my phone... producer Renee can can attest to that. Yeah. She's not mic'd up, but I know you deleted your Instagram, right? Oh, when'd you do that? It's been a while, like a couple. And would nice. you would you say that was a positive decision? Okay. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever met anyone that deleted Instagram and is like, yeah, I regret that. Because one, if they do, they they get back on it. But two, right? Like everyone is like, yeah, it's it's probably better for my life. So the beginning of this year, yeah, Natalie and I decided to take, uh, we were gonna take a three week break. Yeah. Start the year. And I, I didn't delete it, but I set like the timer on my iPhone to like a one minute limit per day. So effectively I, I couldn't get on it. I mm -hmm. would get on just to like stuff that we post for work. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had very little desire to reenter that world. Cause I kind of noticed like, yeah, all, if anything, there's just like, it just increases anxiety. It doesn't yeah. really at the end of the day, add anything. Yeah. Like best case scenario, I come out of that experience neutral. Yeah. But, and that's best case scenario. Yeah, I'm not going to come out of it like feeling better unless I'm just kind of an a-hole and I'm going like, well, I'm better than that person. That's awesome. Yep. You know, sucks yep. to be them. Like, and I would say majority, who does that? majority of people, yeah, majority of people don't want to be that person, you know? That's right. So uh, I, I think that's wildly insightful and it's such a, such like a simple, of course, we all would agree, right? Yeah. Like don't compare yourself to others, but it's really, really hard nowadays. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Mean, and it's such a, especially where we live, not only in the US, but in a, a fairly affluent part of a fairly affluent state. Like it's really easy to to do that, oh, to yeah. walk down the street or go out to dinner and go, to just lose that gratitude. Oh, um, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and And to have what, you know, wake up that morning being completely content Mm. nothing about your circumstances change. You perceive someone else in a different circumstance and by comparison, your circumstance now is by default yeah. worse. Yeah. Like that's a silly thing to put ourselves through. It is. And I think, and again, he hits on it with a, another quote and he's just got so many one-liners in this book, but enough is not too little. I was about to say Which that. is so, I love so it. true. Enough is not too little. No. And that's, and, and, and like, <laughs> and we're getting a little bit off of money here in finances, but getting those goalposts to, to stop moving is yeah. so difficult in any area of your life, right? And it, it's, it, but it's, it's necessary, right? So this is why we have so many people, like this lesson is, and we're not going to get nearly through this book today. It's just yeah. not going to happen no. because there's so much no, here, no, no. but 
this is the root of it. Like everybody wants to listen to something like this or to read a book that's going to give them the secret. Yeah. How do I become a gajillionaire? It's like, yeah. well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But what we all are after is contentment, mm -hmm. is peace. Like we yeah. just want to be at a place where we have a relative amount of freedom in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And that's attainable for most people. And we'll get on to like how, right? Right? Like mm -hmm. confounding, compounding. It doesn't take a lot of money. Yeah. Um, the amount of earning is not the problem for mm -hmm. most people in America that are fairly educated. Like yeah. We all, relative to the world, we have no excuse to not have enough. Oh, yeah. This is at the root of the problem. Like, you look at the retirement statistics for millennials, even for for the baby boomer generation, like it's way worse than it should be. Mm -hmm. Why? It's because every raise we get, what do we do? We so immediately increase our standard of living. Oh, yeah. Why? Is that because the house we had wasn't good enough? Is that because the car we had wasn't good enough? Mm -hmm. The watch we had wasn't good enough? No, none of that's the case. Everything we have, if you live in the US, by default, you're better off than most people in the world. Mm -hmm. and most people in the world will kill to be where you are. Yes, quite literally. It's it's that constant striving for the next big thing, the next, whether it's keeping up with the Joneses or whether it's some emotional hole in your own soul you're trying to fill, mm -hmm. the stuff isn't going to do that. So okay. if you can recognize that, then what does that do? That means the next time you get an 8% raise, that's straight to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. That's straight to the compound interest factor that is a magical thing, yeah. right? But it all is built on not chasing the next thing mm -hmm. that is ultimately going to leave you just as empty as the last thing that you yeah. had, yeah. right? So it, it's a really, really hard concept, I think, to get down in your get down in your being. Yeah, but it is kind of the secret. It is. I mean, it really <laughs> is. Again, if you can if you can get those goalposts to stop moving, and you are content and enough, and you can like kind of remind yourself that enough is not too little. You're you're doing great. Oh, like yeah. you are in a really good position to be successful. And again, and like, this is why this book is so great. He builds on this the yep. rest of the time of why that is so important. So, like you said, the compounding. Um, what is it? Not, compounding is confounding or whatever. Confound, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great chapter, and and we'll get to that. But yeah, this should, is this should, is so important right now. Should or, we move to it? Uh, oh, it is chapter four. Look at yeah. that. All right, sweet. Let's do it. I mean, if there's no, no, no. no if there's no. anything else in chapter three you want to chew on? No, no, no. I think that's I could talk I think about that's it for good. Days. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm going to say this to the camera. Go get this book. Like yeah. it is, it is so good. Written um, by Morgan Hauser. That's right, Morgan, Morgan Hauser. Hauser. Yeah, Morgan. Great job. Yeah. Great book. <laughs> I'm sure you listen to the give podcast. You a shout out. <laughs> I'm going to give you a shout out. It's a, it, it's one of the best books, especially like for someone that's entering this world. Yeah. Like read this before you go on to, mm -hmm. you know, the intelligent investor, something a little bit more, more meaty, like yeah, more, more heavily financial concept. Like yeah. this is the foundation that could benefit literally everybody, no matter your age, no yeah. matter your financial status. Um, okay. Chapter four, Joey. Let's oh, dive in. You don't need a tremendous force to create a tremendous result. Oh man, is that true? And I think I think this is the chapter where he uses this stat that Warren Buffett, the greatest, or touted as one of the greatest investors of all time, if not the greatest investor of all time, didn't make most of his money until after he was 65. And that's and and the reason he's so successful is because he started investing since he was legitimately a child. Yep. Like I think 10 or so. It it's it's true. Like compounding is, and I think this comes from Warren Buffett, he says compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. And because it is so, so amazing. And one of the single most powerful things you can do uh, for investing is increase your time horizon. Mm -hmm. That is as number one. It's not make all these trades. It's not make all these moves. It's not do this or that or follow this one secret necessarily um, or this one like hot tip is what I mean to say by that. Yeah. Uh, it's if you can increase your time horizon, do it. 
Again, that's not for like that that can't physically happen for some people. I get that, right? If you haven't started investing until you're you're later in life. But if you can, do it. AKA invest as soon as you possibly can. The Warren Buffett point's a good one. I mean, obviously he's an outlier, yeah. right? I yeah, mean he's had, absolutely. I would we're we're not the goal is not to repeat Warren Buffett's level of success, but like anybody that's really successful, there are lessons we can pull from their experience that can mm-hmm. certainly be beneficial on our own path. And I think the thing that he exhibited was patience. Mm-hmm. Like you look at his his pattern of investing, the thing that he understands is current environments, current performance, whether it's an individual stock or a macroeconomic situation that we're in, that that holds very little predictive value of what to expect in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that is what so many people struggle, I think, to understand is well, I, I'm getting a subpar return at this moment in time. So everything is is now under duress. Like I yeah. have to make a big change. And that's that's just simply not the case. Yeah. Like he has the, the discipline to stick it out. He has the discipline to stick it out. And that is what allows compounding to work. It isn't about, you know, finding you don't have to find the 35% stock every single year yeah. jump right. Because guess what? Newsflash. You won't. Yeah. Like it's, y- it's you, a one-off event. You yeah. won't do it. I'll look right in the camera. You won't do it. And I don't say that rudely. I say it like with compassion of like, I'm trying to, I want anybody hearing this to get into a repeatable, successful pattern mm-hmm. of behavior. Yeah. Right. Doesn't mean you can't play with some of your money, but the foundation needs to be, like we said earlier, repeatable and statistically probable. And what that looks like is it's not the 25% per year. It's probably like the 7 to 10% yeah. per year. But that's an amazing thing. And that's the thing is if you can stick with seven, if you can stick with the investments, that'll return you about, on average, seven and a half percent a year and just let it sit. And that's where, that's where com- compounding goes wild. Yep. Right? That is the point, right? And why? So what we mean by compounding, like, again, think of a graph. That line of your investment, and this is where, like, what he says at the beginning of this chapter, it doesn't take, what does he say? It doesn't take a tremendous force. It doesn't take a tremendous, a tremendous force result. to create tremendous results, right? So what he means by that is, and we talk about this all the time with clients on here, with friends, family, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care if you have $5, start. Mm-hmm. Because what you're building is the habit and the discipline for when it's not five, when it's 500, when it's 5,000, mm-hmm. you will have built the habits that matter. Now, you may never get to 5,000. You may never get to 500. Guess what? That five will turn into a ridiculous amount of money down the road relative to the five yeah, that you're yes, putting yeah, in. Yeah. It might not be $5 million, but relative to the amount that it feels like you're putting in, it will grow. And why is that? It's because it's not a linear line, right? Mm -hmm. Or if you're looking at the camera, it's not a linear line straight up where you're making the same amount of progress every year. It's a growth curve, right? It's it's basically turning. Yeah, it's exponential turning into a horizontal line where the amount of progress you made in year one is many times smaller the amount of progress you made in year five, many times smaller the amount of progress you made in year 20. And eventually as that line you know, approaches horizontal, it's it's going to be not horizontal, uh, vertical. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to have a massive impact yeah. because that five turns into 10, turns into 20, turns into 50, turns into 100, turns into 200. All of a sudden the amount of growth you're getting is kind of mind boggling, mm-hmm. right? But you have to be patient. Yes. And, and you have to be diligent and you have to have the foresight to go. Again, it gets back to the same concepts we talk about, which is we're so bad at being patient nowadays. We want everything. We want it now. We want, mm-hmm. there's a stand-up comedian that does a routine, Natalie and I love. He talks about like how impatient we're with Prime, right? Like two day, not good enough. Give me one day. 
Give me, I, I want, I want it now. I, I want, I don't even want to look for dinner. Just yeah. you should anticipate what I want for dinner. Prime it right into my mouth. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the attitude we have nowadays, but it's, yeah. it's anathema to what is, what works, yeah. which is have the foresight to go. Yeah. I might not see the benefit today. I'm having to give up that pair of sunglasses or that sweater that I want now, but mm-hmm. 10 years from now, you're going to be so damn thankful. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. so proud that, yeah. that you had that. Yeah. Right? And I think, and I think that's something like, uh, for me, right, 28, I'm making decisions that are going to affect me when I'm 65. Mm-hmm. God's grace that I live that long, and I really hope I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I am going to be, I, I want to be able to look back and be like, thank you, 28-year-old Joey yep. for making that decision, right? Yep. I'm, I'm going to be so thankful. So, And again, yeah. it's all up here. Yep. It has nothing to, if you have a part-time job making 15 bucks an hour, you can set aside 10 bucks a month, mm-hmm. 50 bucks a month, whatever it is. Like yeah. you can't, everybody can do that. Yeah. And so it's not about resources. It's about the mindset that you have. Yeah. And it takes discipline. It's not easy up front, but it gets easier over time. And this is, and I think this kind of goes into, if if you don't mind transitioning to chapter five now, right? Let's do it. Um, getting wealthy versus staying wealthy. And he said, good investing is not necessarily about making good decisions. It's about consistently not screwing up, right? And that's where that comes into play. It's like that consistent discipline to be patient and not, pulling out when you, you freak out or, or the markets yep. dip, right? Planning is also important in this concept or in, in this process of, of staying wealthy and getting wealthy, right? You said 15 bucks an hour. Can anyone can do that? And I mean, most people I think can get to a job that has 15 bucks an hour, uh, but planning is important in that aspect. I don't think you're just going to wake up one day and be like, all right, I'm going to start investing consistently. I think you got to make a plan and then that you can reference to, yep. to get you back on track. Yep. Um, and the most important part of that plan is that everything is not necessarily going to go to plan. And so that's, that's part of it. And if you, can, if you can build a successful plan that allow you to stay in the market, again, allow compounding to do its thing, to run mm-hmm. wild mm-hmm. and become financially unbreakable, you're going to stay wealthy. I think there's another quote in here somewhere. I don't know which chapter it is, but one of the quickest ways to lose money is to show people how much money you have, aka spend it. Mm-hmm. And it's just so true. Like that's not going to help you stay wealthy, right? No. Wealthy is the things that you don't see. Yeah, very few people, and we're talking about the the mass affluent, which is what makes America America. It's it's mm-hmm. this large middle class, and I'm, I don't want to get into the you know the middle class shrinking wealth yeah. disparity. What makes America America is the average person that you pluck out of the population is so far better off than the average person you pluck out of undeveloped countries and really mm-hmm. the rest of the world. It, it, it's that. It's the ability to not chase that extra thing. That's what puts you in that class of people, the people that retire with two to $5 million, right? Mm-hmm. Is the discipline to understand the time value of money and the discipline, the rewards that discipline will, will give you. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of this chapter that he talks about is building that plan. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this a lot, like with clients, it's when you build a plan, like you said, the first thing we know about a plan, like with any simulation, right? With anything we're doing in the future or trying to, to mark out in the future, we know that we'll be wrong. In other words, we know that at some point that plan's not going to pan out exactly how we built it today. Mm-hmm. But the idea is if we don't build a plan, we'll be way further away from the ideal than we otherwise would be if we had built the plan. So yeah. we'll be closer to the desirable outcome than, than we would otherwise be if we built a plan. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, it's because we know that emotions are fragile. Emotions move a lot, right? And they play into everything. Everything. And they're subject to circumstance. They're subject to seasons of life. There's, you know, a mom gets sick or your kid knows going through something or whatever. Your future self was a really unreliable thing to trust. Mm -hmm. So building the plan when you're in a sound state of mind, 
where you're thinking clearly, where you're getting the advice of someone that is looking out for your best interest, like you're offloading that future decision. You're, you're taking that burden off your future self. Saying, well, I've already made the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've already dictated to my future self what we're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. I've already decided to put the money away 12 months from now, 24 months from now. I've already decided to be disciplined within my budget, mm-hmm. right? I've already decided that I'm not buying a car until year 10, you know, from now. Mm-hmm. Like, offloading those future decisions is just going to reduce the future stress level that you're going to feel because like you said, you can revert back to that plan. Mm-hmm. And that plan is what is going to get you to where you want to go. Yeah. And helps you, again, helps you kind of lock in those goalposts referencing something that we were talking about earlier, right? Yep. Helps you keep That's on that right. track to keep those goalposts from <sighs> continually shifting. Um, so yeah, it's it's a great, um, a great chapter. And I think somewhere we're going to end today is get a plan, make a plan. Yeah. If you um, don't have a plan, one. again, start building these these step-by-step, read the book, Yes. build these building blocks, like start with the easy stuff. And and if you don't have a plan, get one. And, not, and I, I'm not saying a like super detailed what you're going to do every day. Just a, you can even I, just it can be of, a one page yeah, plan. Very rudimentary, just simple plan. Just yep. that even helps, right? Don't, yep. you don't have to necessarily go to a financial planner specifically. If you do, great. It'll probably help. Yeah. Um, but you don't necessarily have to, to have a plan. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. I think we're going to end there uh, for part one. We're going to do a part two next week because um, I, I, there's so much good and stuff maybe left. Maybe part three and a four. We got through five yeah. of the 19 chapters. So, And I will say, I, I think we want to give back a little bit to our listeners. We, we feel so strongly about this book. Um, for the first three people that comment, like, and subscribe to the podcast, um, we're going to send you a copy of the book for free. So reach out to us, podcast at assetbuilder.com. Let us know that you've done that. Yeah, we can't, um, I was going to say, we can't see comments on Spotify because that's... We're, we're on Spotify, but I don't know. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. So yeah. across those three platforms, pick one. Uh, we can't see, see comments on Spotify as well. We can? Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet. Okay. Um, at any rate, like, subscribe, comment, um, and then let us know that you've done that. Send us an email and we'll make sure to get a book to you for free um, mm-hmm. because we we feel really strongly this is a great resource. Mm-hmm. No matter your philosophy, no matter your, your status, it's going to make you better off as a human. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to do. That's what we care about. Uh, Joey, any last thoughts for part one? No, just exactly. Just reiterating what you just said. Go, go read the book. It is so good. Yep. It is so good. We're going to keep talking about it uh, over the next few weeks, but... Yep. It is so, it is still worth the read. We're not covering everything. So, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Joey, thank you for your time. Yep. Renee, thank our producer. you as always for your support. Fearless producer, Renee. One of these days we're going to get her mic'd up so you're going to get to know her a little bit. Thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next week. If you have any questions for Adam or Janet concerning this topic or anything else, please visit us at our home on the web, assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every episode.